Praise the Lord. This is Andrew Womack, and this is our second teaching in a four-teaching uh, series on how to deal with grief. In our first teaching, I basically uh, talked about that you first of all have to discern is the grief you're feeling a legitimate grief, a valid grief. And there are some things that people grieve about that really there is no reason to grieve. And you just need to get over that and go on. For instance, you know, if a wife is grieving because her husband is getting all of the recognition and she's not being noticed the way that she should, that's just a selfish type of thing. There are trivial things that people grieve over which should not be legitimized at all. I even had a woman one time talk about a girl that she ministered to, and this girl complained that her parents abused her, not physically, but, you know, didn't love her, didn't take care of her, that they were mean, that they were cruel. And the woman even said that she knew the parents personally, and this was not so. It was absolutely untrue, but the girl just had an exalted sense of self. She thought that everybody in the world should wait on her. And because of this, uh, she had this concept that her parents were bad parents, and they weren't at all. And so the woman who was counseling her said it wasn't a accurate assessment of the situation at all, but it was real to her. And so she went ahead and ministered to her and told her how she needed to forgive her parents and extend mercy towards them, and she led her through ways of dealing with her grief and things. I would have done just the opposite. Something like that, I would tell a person that, you know what, you need to first of all have an honest discernment whether about what you are calling grief is accurate. And if you are perceiving something that isn't true, or if it's just because it's selfish, or if you are obsessing over trivial things, then you need to get rid of that. And you shouldn't placate that and try and take these principles that I'm talking about and somehow or another apply that to your situation. Now, there are some things that are not worth grieving over, and the best way to deal with that is just to grow up and quit being self-centered in the way that you do things. And so that's what I would suggest is that the first thing you need to discern whether it's legitimate grief or not. Then we talked about that your situation isn't unique, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and how that God has uh, made a way for you. He's faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. And one of the main points there was that there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. You don't need to magnify your situation to the point that it exempts you from anybody else reaching out and helping you because your situation is so much worse. That's a dangerous place to be. And you can also receive comfort from the fact that your brethren in the world are under the same type of things, and you can receive hope and encouragement from that. We also talked about how good can come out of grief. We used some scriptures on that, not to say that God brings evil for good, but God can bring good out of evil. Those are two different things. We also talked about how the Holy Spirit is sent to comfort us in all of our tribulations, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we talked about some of the ways that the Holy Spirit can do this uh, is through praying in tongues. The scripture says in Isaiah chapter 28 that uh, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. It also says in Jude chapter 1 verse 20 and 21, that you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God. So those are the four main things we dealt with on our first teaching. Today I want to uh, continue to deal with how to deal with grief and talk about putting it into its proper perspective, or the title of this will be, It Came to Pass. And this is basically taken from a phrase that is used in over 457 verses in the Bible where it says it came to pass. And I admit that I'm taking a little liberty with this, but I think it makes a point, and it's something easy to remember that I think could be a blessing to you, that you can take that phrase, it came to pass, and say that's why it came, was to pass. It came to pass. In other words, it's only temporary. Any situation that is going to come into your life is only temporary. So first of all, when you start dealing with the emotion of grief and when you start dealing with that, you need to recognize 
that these emotions are valid. It is not wrong to be grieved over a situation, but it's wrong to let that grief dominate and control you and bring you to a place of inactivity, loss of hope, depression, discouragement, etc. And so one of the first things I'd say is that you've got to grab hold of those emotions. Let me use some scriptures where Paul talked about this. In Philippians chapter 4, and actually if you were to read the entire book of Philippians with this understanding, it would help you tremendously. But Philippians was written from prison. And yet there is more mention of joy, rejoicing, uh, rejoice than any other epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote. This was one of the happiest, one of the most victorious epistles that he wrote, and yet he was in prison. And he wasn't in prison uh, just for a short period of time. He had been in prison for years, and he was being faithful to God, and yet he was showing forth a tremendous victory in Christ, even in the midst of trying situations. And so I'm breaking right into the midst of this, but many of you are already familiar with the context. But in Philippians chapter 4, this is where he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in verse 4. And again, this is written from prison. I tell you, there's a powerful truth here, and I'm going to be amplifying on this as we go through our teaching today. But you need to recognize that circumstances cannot dictate to you your emotions. Your emotions are something that you choose. Now that is a powerful statement. Some of you, this may have gone over your head. Others, that may have shocked you because this is totally different than the way that our secular world approaches things today. Basically, psychology, the world's approach towards problems, is that you have to just basically get rid of all of these obstacles of all of these aggravations, abrasions, and things that come against you. And only then can you truly have joy. In other words, another way of saying this is that the world thinks that joy is the absence of problems. And if we could just fix this problem, if we can get rid, if we can cut this person out of our life, like in marriage, and get rid of this, then we'll be happy. And so much of the way that people are trying to deal with their emotions today is to solve external things. The Bible teaches just the opposite, and Paul is a great example of a person who was in the midst of prison. He had been there for years, at least three or four years at this time, and he was facing possible execution. It's uh, the church history says that Paul was beheaded. We don't know if that's exactly accurate or not. But he was facing possible execution. He had been in prison for years. He had been uh, falsely accused on and on, all of these things. And yet he is rejoicing and saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's showing that rejoicing, joy, peace is not a state of being, but it's a state of mind. You can rejoice in the Lord at all times. That's what it says in Psalms chapter 34. David said, I will Rejoice in, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. We can do it. It would be unjust for Paul to give this command, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It would be unjust for him to give that command if it couldn't be done. The point I'm trying to make is that our society today has basically accepted as true that emotions are just responses to things that happen to us. So therefore, if you've had some tragedy happen in your life, many people are going to feel captivated. As long as you are in a bad situation, you are going to feel like you would be uh, uh, hypocritical. You would be in denial if you just didn't let this grief and this stuff out. I don't believe that that's an accurate statement. Paul was in a bad situation, and yet he was rejoicing. Joy is something that you have in Christ Jesus, not based on circumstances. And I could give personal testimony as well as many testimonies of people I've dealt with who right in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of death, are rejoicing and praising God because their their joy is in the Lord. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Paul was saying these things in Philippians chapter 4, and in verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now this is important. The apostle Paul said he had learned to be content. Contentment, 
And, of course, we're talking about more than just contentment. We're talking about overcoming grief and things like this. But the principle is established here that your joy, your peace, your happiness, contentment, is not something that just automatically happens, but rather it's something that you can choose. You can choose. You can learn something. Now, see, again, this goes contrary to most people's opinions. Most people think that you either just feel joy, you either feel happiness, or you feel grief, and you have zero control over your feelings. That isn't true. Let me give you some more scriptures that will verify this same thing and make the same point. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples the very night before his crucifixion. And he knew what was going to happen. In the 13th chapter, it says he knew all things that would happen to him and to his disciples. And in the midst of this situation, he said in John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Now, he was talking to his disciples that were going to see him crucified. They were going to see him arrested and a mock trial, crucifixion, the... uh, disciples feared that the Roman government would be coming after them next. And in a situation like that, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Did you know that the Lord would be absolutely unjust if he commanded us to not let our heart be troubled? And yet we couldn't help it. It just was something that happened in bad situations. You're going to have fear and depression and discouragement come on you. That's not the way that it is. That is a big lie that has been put forth in our day and age that you cannot control your emotions but rather they control you the very fact that the lord gave a command let not your heart be troubled says that he we can control our emotions he wouldn't have given us an unjust commandment he repeats this in the 14th chapter verse 27 peace i leave with you my peace i give unto you not as the world giveth give i unto you let not your heart be troubled Neither let it be afraid. These are commands from the Lord. And it was given the night before his crucifixion. You know, most people would think that if there was ever a justification for being depressed, discouraged, sad, defeated, that it certainly would have been to the disciples the night that they saw Jesus arrested and then when they saw all of these acts, when they saw him crucified, Most people with psychology influencing them today would feel like that something would be wrong with you if you didn't grieve, if you didn't just fall apart like a $2 suitcase. They would say that you're in denial and that you aren't venting and letting your feelings out, that you've got to get these things out. Brothers and sisters, that's not what the Word of God teaches. The Lord twice told his disciples, don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. Tremendous statements. And with it comes tremendous revelation. If God could command his disciples in that situation not for their heart not to be troubled, then you know what? Your heart cannot be troubled. That doesn't mean that you don't miss a person if they've died. That doesn't mean that there aren't valid things that can sadden you. But you don't have to be troubled. You don't have to lose your peace. You don't have to lose your joy. You don't have to lose your hope. You don't have to become less of a person. You can go on through these things. The Lord has told us to do so, and he would have been unjust to give that kind of a command if we couldn't do it. I tell you, God is not like that. It also says in John chapter 16, verse 33, and this is still the same discourse to his disciples of the night before his crucifixion. And he said in verse 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Man, these are tremendous statements. Whatever your situation is, God has a provision that is greater than your need. God's provision was made before you even had a need. Your grief may have caught you off guard. It may have shocked you. You may not have seen it coming. But God knew what was happening, and God had already made a provision, and the supply of his Spirit is infinitely greater than what you need. And knowing all of this, he says, yes, you will have tribulation. There will be problems in your life, but be of good cheer. He didn't say just don't fall apart, don't follow into, fall into grief, but he even went beyond that to say that you can rejoice and you can praise God. You can have good cheer because he has overcome the world. 
you know, I want to be sensitive with what I'm saying because I know that there will be people listening to this teaching who have lost someone that they love. And I don't want you to think that I'm making light of that at all and that I'm minimizing that. I have lost people that I love and I have gone through that. And yet in the midst of uh, terrible loss, I have seen myself and others begin to start praising God, even at a funeral. I've been to funerals where there was joy and where there was laughter, where people were praising God. I've been to funerals where instead of grieving, we were talking about how glorious it is that this person knew the Lord and that they had accepted this and how we begin to talk about how God is compensating them and ministering unto them. And there is rejoicing. I've been to funerals where there were invitations given and people were saved and there was uh, people praising God. And so the point that I'm making is just like this verse is saying that you don't have to just barely survive, but you can thrive even going through the loss of a loved one, even going through terrible situations. You can operate in absolute total victory even through those things. So I want to make this point first that yes, there are things that happen and no, it's not wrong to have grief. No, it's not wrong to be saddened over certain things. There are legitimate reasons to have those things, but it is not proper to let those things escalate to the point that it steals your joy. I've given three examples here where you can control your emotions. The Lord said, let not your heart be troubled. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I tell you, in a crisis situation, in a situation where somebody's died, or you are in a situation that is causing you grief, I believe that the very first thing that you've got to do is you've got to grab hold of those emotions. You know, in a situation like, say, for instance, if you were in a theater and if there was a fire and if, you know, people said evacuate, one of the things that you have to do that they will try and do is say, stay calm. Don't anybody panic because there are many examples of people who have been killed in the crush, people rushing to get out of a building. And uh, they, it could have all been avoided if there wasn't panic. You can't panic in a situation. Panic is where your emotions have taken control of you and logic is out of the window. I'm saying that, yes, there are times that it's legitimate to grieve and that there are real concerns. But in a crisis situation like that, one of the very first things you have to do, one of the most important things you have to do is to grab control of those emotions. That's what I've been talking about here. Jesus said you could do it. Don't let your heart be troubled. It's a command. You will have tribulation, but you can still be of good cheer. It's a choice. Paul said, I have learned how to be content. Paul chose these kind of things, and you can choose too. One of the things that I've done in the midst of terrible situations is just to start praising God and saying, God, you are a good God. You are a faithful God. Man, that's awesome. And I know some of you are thinking, but there are times you just can't do that. Yes, you can. You can do it in any situation. I remember a time when I was told that my son had died. And my wife and I had an hour and a half drive into Colorado Springs. And we prayed and believed God to raise him up. And we were standing there. But on the way in, we didn't want to say much. But what we did, we just started saying, God, you're a good God. We started praising God and glorifying God and talking about how good God was. And when we got there, within five to ten minutes after the call came to us, my son just sat up and was raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. And I'm not saying that you always get a positive results like that, but I am saying that in the midst of a terrible situation, you can rejoice and you can praise God. Don't tell me it can't be done. It can be done. Jesus said it can be done. Matter of fact, he gave a command for us to respond that way. You can do that. And one of the things that I think really helps you to be able to praise God is just to remember that all of your problems are temporary. And I know that when a person is grieving, one of the things that happens is you get so focused on that one individual thing. It's like you lose your connection with all reality. You forget everything that's happened in the past. You forget all of the good things that are yet to happen. And you get so focused on one little situation that it's just like your whole life, your everything depends on this one thing. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to 
I'm not trying to say that there aren't real problems and real griefs that people deal with, but I'm saying that you can shrink any problem, any tragedy that has come into your life by just putting it into its proper perspective. You know, if you could imagine right now a painting, and that painting, of course, has hundreds of different colors in it. And if you could imagine a fly landing on one of those little blobs of paint. And, of course, I've been told, I don't know this firsthand, but I've been told that flies have compound eyes and literally see hundreds of images through each eye. And if that's so, well, then that fly landing on this um, blob of paint would just see this, you know, huge array of one color. And, you know, it's supposed to be a masterpiece, but all it is is just a blob. Well, the reason it looks that way is because he's so close to it. But if that fly could fly away from that and get a perspective, pull back and look, you could see how that one little blob of color fits into the whole painting. And it is a masterpiece and it all works together. Well, see, in a similar way, sometimes when we have tragic things hit us, we just focus on them to such a degree that we lose the perspective of everything else that has happened in our life. I've had people come to me with problems, grief-stricken before, and say, nothing ever goes right. My whole life is a failure. There's nothing good. And it's just because they've had a tragic occurrence in one area, and they're so focused on it that they forgot the past. They've forgotten the future and the promises of God. And sometimes when I know the person personally, I can go back and begin to start reminding them and say, now, wait a minute. Let's look back and just look at some of the things that God's done in your life. And I take them back and remind them how that God miraculously saved them, how God healed them from incurable diseases, how God put their marriage together, how God brought their kids back, how God has done all of these wonderful things. And you know what? As you do that, it changes your perspective. And it allows you to all of a sudden realize that, yes, this is a bad thing that's taken place in my life, but you know what? This one instance is not going to define my whole life There was life before this. There will be life after it. And I think that you need to kind of pull back and put things in their proper perspective. And so that's what I'm meaning by saying that it came to pass. That's why it came. So it would pass. This tragedy that you find yourself in someday will be further away from you. I'm not saying that it'll ever cease to be a tragedy But I'm saying that there are other good things coming your way. There's been good things before. There will be good things after. And you have to have that perspective. If nothing else, if you can't see any light at the end of the tunnel in your physical existence, maybe something has happened to you that is so tragic you think that it is going to destroy your entire life. If you can't see any light at the end of the tunnel in this life, you know you still have promises from the Word of God about the life to come, and we are going to live forever in eternity. And I want you to listen to this. I know that this may not be something that you are real open to right now, but it's the truth, and the truth will set you free. But if you can't find any reason to hope in this life, if your situation looks like it has just totally destroyed this life, then you need to remember that there is more to life than just this physical existence here on earth. That we have an eternity, and eternity is a very long time. Living here on this earth, it doesn't matter if you live 70 or 80 years, it's going to be like the snap of a finger compared to eternity. Eternity is a long time, and in eternity we have tremendous promises from God. Look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Boy, that is a tremendous statement. We pass over that quickly, but I want you to think about this. It says that the sufferings of this present time, that includes whatever you're going through, whatever your situation is. It doesn't matter if it's the loss of a loved one. It doesn't matter if every family member was killed. It doesn't matter if it's a tragedy in your marriage. It doesn't matter if it's a tragedy with your children. It doesn't matter what it is. It says that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
Now, I know that this at the moment just sounds like this is is not true and this couldn't be so, but this is the word of God I'm quoting. It says that the problems you are facing right now, regardless of how bad you think they are, they aren't even worthy to compare with the glory that shall be revealed to you. That's a tremendous statement. And I know some of you are looking at your grief, and it is so center point, uh, center focused in your life, that at the moment you don't think that there could be any compensation. There's nothing that could ever overcome this. But the scripture is saying that there is such a tremendous compensation waiting for us that our present problems aren't even worthy to be compared. In other words, it's not even doing it justice to talk about our problems now in comparison to the glory and the wonderful things that God is going to reveal to us. I know that many of you right now may think, no, it can't be so. That's just, there's nothing that could ever compensate us. But the Word of God says that there is. I remember watching a show one time about the Holocaust And I was just seeing the terrible things, the terrible things that it had done. And I mean, it grieved me. I was dealing with grief, not over anything personally, but just the way that humans treated humans, the terrible things that had happened. And as I looked at that, I thought, God, how could there ever be a bad enough punishment for Hitler and all of the people and the Japanese who did these terrible atrocities to people? I just watched a little thing last night that was about uh, the building of the railroad where that movie the bridge over the river Kwai, was uh, filmed and it was it was so infinitely worse than that hollywood movie that you know now i look at that hollywood movie and think that it was a travesty to even make it it doesn't do justice to what happened and you see how terrible these kind of things were and you wonder how could people ever be punished enough for that and If a person was a believer, and if they're going to be in heaven, how could heaven ever compensate for the terrible tragedy they suffered down here? And I was struggling with this, and the Lord gave me this verse, Romans 8, 18. He says it's not even worthy to compare those problems with the glory that is going to be revealed in us through Christ Jesus. And the Lord just gave me a little glimpse that What we are going to experience in heaven in eternity is so awesome that you take the worst tragedy that has happened in the history of mankind and it is going to be totally just obliterated with the glory, the wonder, the goodness, the greatness of what God has prepared for us. And you know what? I don't know how to get that across to you, but I just pray that right now the Holy Spirit would make this real to you, that whatever your suffering is, whatever has happened to you, when you put it up against the light of eternity, when you begin to start thinking about what God has prepared for you, you're going to find out that there is no comparison. After we've been in heaven for a split second, all of the sufferings that you've ever had in this life are going to be nothing. They will have been more than compensated for, and the rest of eternity is just going to be heaven. It's going to be awesome. You know, the Holy Ghost has to quicken that to you. I know that from this side, it's hard for us to see because we can't really see, but the Word is telling you, and it's giving you an assurance that sure enough, God has a provision made for you, and even if you don't experience it in this life, in heaven, You are going to be in the presence of God. All of your tears are going to be wiped away. You are going to be so compensated by God that there will be zero reason for you to ever even think back. You won't even have a moment's hurt, a moment's pain, because God is going to heal you and minister to you so greatly. Knowing that that is in your future, it should enable you to deal with, with the presence, if present, if you could just understand how great God's reward is for those who love Him. Let me take another example out of Hebrews chapter 11. This is talking about Moses. In verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. This tells you how Moses was able to do what he did. He gave up luxury. He gave up living in all of the luxury and the splendor of the Egyptians. He was second or third in command over the entire nation. And all of the future and all of those things, he gave it up. And how is he able to do it? It says here, because he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The word recompense means a paying back. In other words, if you do something for your employer and he gives you your paycheck, in a sense, that's your recompense. He has paid you for your services. And you know what? God is going to recompense us. If we have made Jesus our Lord and if we have stayed faithful to him, there is a paying back and it's a reward. And it is going to so compensate you just again, like Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that the things that are prepared for you in the future are are so awesome that it makes your problems nowadays not even be worthy to compare to the things that God has prepared for you. If you can understand that and begin to start truly believing that, you know what it'll do? It'll shrink your problem down. It won't change the fact that you've been through a tragedy. It won't change the fact that something has happened. But, you know, it'll put it into its proper perspective and it'll make a huge difference on the way that you deal with it. You know, you could take the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. You could see where Paul and Silas were beaten and then thrown in jail and put in stocks. And, you know, I could spend a lot of time trying to develop this, but you just need to think about the fact that, you know, it's terrible to be put in jail, the shame, the humiliation that goes along with that. But they were beaten. And they weren't beaten in the sense that things are done today where somebody might have struck them. They took a whip. Their backs were open. They were hurting. There was terrible pain, and on top of all that, they were in stock so that they couldn't even get into a comfortable position. They were in the darkness, the blackness of the dungeon because the jailer, when he came in, he had to get a light and come in. There was no light in there. You know that the conditions were bad. You know that there were mice and rats and things like this, and it's just a terrible situation. And in the midst of this tragedy where a lot of people would have been grieving, Paul and Silas started singing. At midnight, they started singing and praising God. It's the same thing I was saying earlier, that you can control your emotions. You know, Paul and Silas started singing. I'm sure they didn't feel like it in their body. I'm sure that they had every temptation to get angry and bitter and upset the same as anybody would. But they chose to operate in praising God. And they didn't just praise God so that they could get out of the situation that they're in. You know, sometimes people will hear someone like me talking about that God gives you the oil of joy for the garments, I mean, for the spirit of heaviness and the garments of praise out of Isaiah chapter 61. And so they'll think, well, my way out of this is to start praising God. And so they won't praise God from a genuine heart because they really are praising God, but they'll praise God. They'll go through the motions trying to get free from their problems. They will use it like a tool. And that's okay to a degree. But Paul and Silas weren't just praising God because they wanted out of prison and they wanted God to send an earthquake. All of those things happened. An earthquake came and it not only set them free, but it set all of the prisoners free. And to prove that they weren't just praising God so that they could get a different set of circumstances... When the prison doors were open, when their feet and hands were freed, when they came out of the stocks, Paul and Silas didn't leave. Neither did any of the prisoners. They all stayed there. They weren't praising God just because it could get them something. They were praising God because they really loved God. What a radical thought. And, you know, I'm telling you that regardless of what's gone on in your life, you need to start praising God just because you really love God. Start praising him about what's coming in the future. You know, I used John chapter 14, verse 1 already, where the Lord told his disciples the night before his crucifixion, let not your heart be troubled. 
Then in the next verse, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know why I believe that he immediately started talking about heaven after he told them not to let their heart be troubled? It's this same principle I've been talking about. Most of the time when grief hits us, we magnified and amplified out of the uh, realm of reality. We make something bigger of it than what we should. And so I'm telling you that you need to look back, look forward, and shrink that thing. Put it into its proper perspective. But sometimes there are very real tragedies that happen to people. You may be one of those listening. And maybe you can't see hope in this life. If every time you see light at the end of a tunnel... It turns out to be another train. If there is just nothing that you can gather hope from for the future, then Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. He started talking about eternity. And it doesn't matter how bleak your situation is here in this life. You have such a glorious future awaiting for you in heaven that you have to squint to look at it. I mean, it is bright. It's awesome. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he basically said these exact same things over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Here's Paul talking about that he had problems. His outward man was perishing, and he's not only talking about growing older, he's talking about all of the afflictions. He listed those earlier in this chapter if you want to read that. So he's talking about that through problems, trials, tribulations, temptations, they were being destroyed outwardly, but inwardly their spiritual man was renewed day by day. In verse 17, 2 Corinthians 4:17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now notice in verse 17, he says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Boy, what a great statement. You know, some of you may be thinking, Well, Paul just said he had a light affliction. That doesn't relate to me. My situation is a heavy affliction. Again, I'm not trying to make light of your situation. But you know what? Paul's problems were greater than yours or mine ever thought about being. And I know that some of you are going to find that hard to believe. You resist that. But that goes back to the teaching I was making on my very first tape about uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. You cannot think that your situation is unique. You know, we all suffer the same things. Paul suffered tremendously. He said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he listed some of the things that he had suffered. Let me just read some of these things to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said uh, in verse 23, he was defending himself. He says, um, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons, more frequent, in deaths, off. Now, don't just listen to these things quickly and not think about what's being said. He says, in stripes above measure. How many of you have been beaten with stripes above measure? You can't even count how many times you've been beat. I don't believe that there's a person listening to that who can say that. In prisons, more frequent. Well, some of you may have been in prison, but it was in prison for stuff that you did, not for things that you were innocent of. And uh, Paul was in prison even more than you were. It says he's he was frequently in prison, in deaths off. You know, this isn't only talking about spiritual, emotional type of things, but Paul was stoned and left for dead. He was so close to dead that the people who tried to kill him left thinking he was dead. And he got up and walked 20 miles into the next town. It's my personal opinion that I think he was raised from the dead. If he wasn't dead, he was so close to it that his persecutors thought he was. In verse 24, 2 Corinthians 11:24, he says, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. 
It's an old English way of saying 39 stripes. You multiply that times five, and that's 195 stripes, I believe it is, that he accept, uh, that he took. And then he says, thrice was I beaten with rods. When they beat you with rods, they took literally a metal rod like rebarb that you put in concrete, those round rods. They took metal rods and they would hang, hang you up and beat your back and the back of your legs and your feet until they broke all of the bones in there. That happened to Paul three times is what he was saying. He says, once was I stoned. That's the instance that I talked about. He says, thrice I suffered shipwreck. You know, we don't even have records of all of this. We only have a record of one shipwreck that Paul suffered. You know, the book of Acts didn't tell the whole story. There was much more than what was recorded there. He says, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is offended and I burn not. Paul here was listing his problems. And yet he said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it's just a light affliction. You know, if Paul had more problems than you or I as far as quality, quantity of problems, if he had more problems than you or I and yet he was able to call his problems a light affliction, then there is zero justification for us talking about our heavy burden and our heavy affliction. How could Paul, who suffered so many things, say that they are a light affliction? Isn't that a lie? No, it's because of the way that he looked at it. You can lighten your load. And how did Paul do that? He gave us two keys right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. He says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, some of you may think, well, that's the problem. My affliction has been going on for years, or it's going to go on for years. It'll be with me the rest of my life. Did you know that your life is just for a moment? This is the same point I've been trying to make. You need to put your situation into the light of eternity. I believe that for most situations, God can turn those things around and bring hope and joy and peace back to you in this physical life. But if your tragedy is so bad that it is going to last the rest of your life, well, still, it's just like the snap of a fingers compared to eternity. You are going to live forever in eternity. This physical life is not all that there is. You are going to live forever in heaven with the Lord if you are a born-again believer. And see, understanding that will just lighten your load. It will shrink your problems down to where it doesn't matter. I've talked to some people before. I remember talking to a woman who said she'd been praying for her husband for 20 years, and he was still a reprobate, and he still didn't serve God. And she says, I just can't stand it anymore. And I told her some things about how to believe and how to be more effective in witnessing to her husband. But ultimately, you can't demand that your husband or your mate's going to be saved. And so the uh, the main thing that I ministered to her was what I'm saying right here, that you know what, it doesn't matter if it takes 20 or 30 years or if your husband never responds. You are going to live forever in eternity, and God is going to so compensate you. You know, there's going to be special rewards for people that have put up with reprobate husbands and have loved them just because they were praying and believing that maybe they could be the one who touched them and brought them to the Lord. God's going to compensate you, and I promise you that it'll be nothing. 30 years isn't any amount of time. It's nothing in the light of eternity. And some of you may be balking, especially if you're young, and saying, no, 30 years is 10 lifetimes. I can't wait that long. You know, right now I'm 52, and 52 has gone in a hurry. And it won't be any time at all if the Lord tarries until I'm 70 or 80 or whatever. And you know what? This life, honestly, is not long. You may think it is, but it isn't. 
and you need to put things into the light of eternity. This is what Paul said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. You know, it didn't matter if Paul ever got delivered from prison. It didn't matter if he ever got over people persecuting him and doing these things. It was just going to be a brief period of time. Just one lifetime is all that he was going to suffer. And then he would live in glorious liberty and freedom and joy and peace throughout eternity by staying faithful to the one who called him. You need to think about things like that. Put things into their proper perspective. You know, I have an experience. Uh, example that I've used often on some of my tapes, and so some of you may have heard this before, but it fits perfectly right here, that there was a woman who came to me one time. Every time I go to Charlotte, North Carolina, I minister at one of my partner's business, and he tells the people the clock is running, tells them to sit down and listen to me as long as I want to talk. And so I don't even remember how many years ago, but maybe seven or eight years ago, I was there, and the Lord just put some things on my heart. I shared. It was powerful. People got touched. I had about 10 of his employees. 10 out of 30-something employees came back, and I prayed with them to be born again. But one woman came back, and she didn't ask to be born again. Matter of fact, she started by saying, I'm not a Christian like you and the owner of this business. But then she told me that she had a bad marriage. It was like her fourth marriage. She was having a problem with alcohol. Her husband was an alcoholic. She'd been through three or four divorces, and she just says, I can't stand it if he divorces me. He told me he's going to divorce me again. She said, please pray for me. I can't stand it to go through another divorce. And I stopped this woman. I said, now, let me make sure I understand this. You are not a Christian, and you know you aren't a Christian. And she said, that's right. And I said, if you were to die right now, you would go directly to hell. And she said, yes, I would. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage and not pray for your salvation? And she just kind of looked at me. And then I told her, I said, lady, did you realize after you have burned in hell for a thousand years, you won't give a rip about your marriage, whether you're married or not? I said, who cares about your marriage? Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about marriage, but I'm saying in a comparative sense, in a priority type of relationship. You know what? Her salvation was infinitely more important than her marriage. Marriage is something that only lasts for this lifetime. Jesus said that in heaven they don't marry nor are given in marriage. There isn't going to be marriage in heaven. That is just something for this lifetime. And here she was obsessing over a situation that was temporary and forgetting the greater issue about her personal relationship with God that was going to last throughout all eternity. And you know, when I said that to her, it was just like I slapped her in the face. Instantly, she stopped crying. She looked at me and she says, you're right. I need to get saved. So I prayed with her to be born again. And then we prayed about her marriage. I'm not saying that marriage is unimportant, but I'm saying you have to put things into priority, into perspective. And see, you can do this. Whatever you are suffering right now, in most cases, the sun is going to come up. You will go beyond this. That doesn't mean that you'll ever, you know, like what has happened to you. And uh, there may be a, a certain degree of sadness or soberness that you carry with you throughout your entire life. But in most cases, you will go on. And there will be joy and you will laugh again and things will happen in this physical life that will allow you to be able to get your feet back under you and stand up again. But even if your tragedy was so bad that no, you'll never recover in this life, then you can always do what the Apostle Paul did here and just say, it's just for a moment. It's only for the rest of my life. That's not a long time. And I know some of you are just thinking, boy, where did you come from? I came from the Word. I came from meditating in things by the Word. Did you know that someday you are going to be gone? Either the Lord's going to come back and take us all to heaven, or we are going to die and our time here on this earth will be gone. But you will still be alive and you will still be functioning and you are going to rack up eons, millenniums of time in eternity compared to 70 or 80 years here on this earth. You need to look at things in the light of eternity. And if you do that, it'll be just like the Apostle Paul here. It'll make your affliction just a light affliction. It's not a big deal. Well, that is a powerful truth. And you know, this is something that will work in every situation.
in every situation. There's nobody that could present a problem to me that your eternal relationship with God isn't a bigger issue than whatever you've suffered. And if you would think about that and begin to think about eternity and think about all the promises of God and realize that the sufferings of this present world aren't even worthy to be compared to the glorious things that God has waiting for us. If you would do that, that would work in any situation, any situation. Boy, that is a powerful truth. I tell you, that is one of the great keys, I believe, to a Christian life is to become so God-minded and so eternity-minded that you put all of these things that happen here on the earth into their proper perspective. And I know that I'm not trying to say that things aren't important and that we don't have tragedies, but I'm saying in the light of eternity, our problems are nothing. And so that's what the Apostle Paul was saying. He says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not, here's the second key. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Here's the second key, is that you've got to start looking at the intangible things of God, His promises, His compensation, the recompense of the reward, the pain back that the reward is going to give you, like it talked about uh, Moses over in Hebrews chapter 11. You've got to get to where you look at these intangible things and that they, they dominate and that they control you. As long as you are looking at something physical, if it can be seen, say, for instance, if there is a debt hanging over your head, if there is anything physical, tangible that you can see, then it's temporary. Because everything physical, tangible, is going to pass away. Your physical body, your existence, your house, your car, anything that you've got, they're all temporary. But the things that cannot be seen, that is God and the promises of God and the glorious things God has prepared for us, those things are eternal. And you've got to start looking at things from an eternal perspective, an eternal point of view. And I tell you, if you'll do that, It'll take your problems and it'll just put them into insignificance. You know, I had some things happen yesterday. It's, you know, it's things that really wouldn't mean anything to you. But I had planned to just work and get some things done. And a tractor that I had, and I'd already spent a lot of money and a lot of time trying to get this tractor fixed. I got out there. It broke. I had to go. I had. I spent a whole day that I, I don't have very many days that I can work around my house and I spent an entire day taking care of that tractor. Now I'm without it. It's being worked on. And and uh, all of my plans were just, you know, uh, reduced to nothing. They didn't work. And anyway, I had an opportunity to get upset, to obsess over those things. I had an opportunity to be very upset. But I remember... I just went up to my wife and I said, you know what? In the light of eternity, in the light of all the things going on in my life, this isn't the most important thing. I'm going to live. I am not going to let this bother me. And I just started praising God. And it actually turned out to be a great day. I just had a great day. Now, again, like I said, that is minor in comparison to what maybe some of you are dealing with. But if all of us were to take your problem and put it in the light of eternity, well, then anything you're dealing with is actually minor. And you can shrink your problem down. It's just like taking a pair of binoculars and how you look through the small end and out the big end. Everything gets big. You can turn those binoculars around and look through the big end and out the small end, and it'll shrink things. You could take the mountain. I'm looking out my window at Pikes Peak, and I could take a pair of binoculars Look through the big end and out the small end and shrink Pike's Peak down to where I could just, like you could grab it with your fingers and deal with it. And you know, that's the way that your mind is. Your mind can either see things in the light of the moment and lose the total perspective on reality. Or it can turn around and put anything, I don't care how tragic it is, into the light of eternity and realize that it's going to come to pass. It's just temporary. There's nothing that Satan can do that is eternal. And you can look at things in the light of eternity and it'll shrink your problems down. If it's physical, if it can be seen, then it's temporary.
you ought to look at your problems and say, temporary, I'm coming through this. And because Paul did that, he was able to say it's just a light affliction. Not because he didn't have as many problems. He had more problems, but it was the way he looked at it. God has made us this way so that we can shrink and reduce and minimize whatever has happened in your life, or you can magnify it. The scripture talks about magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The scripture tells us to magnify God and to magnify his promises and magnify good things. But your mind has the capacity to do either. Through your focus, whatever you focus your attention on will become magnified. Whatever you um, fail to focus your attention on, it'll begin to shrink. And you can focus on eternity. You can begin to put things into their proper perspective and it'll shrink whatever problem you're dealing with down to a manageable size. This is something that will work for every single person, regardless of what your situation is. Let me just use a couple of scriptures here in case someone is dealing with the loss of uh, somebody you love. Most of the time when we talk about grieving, I think most people really grieve over the loss of a person and they don't know how to cope with that. Let me just go back and use some scriptures here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. I use this verse in our first teaching in this subject, but Paul here said that he didn't want us to grieve as others who have no hope. And he goes on to say in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The word prevent here means precede. In other words, we aren't going to be caught up into the presence of the Lord without those who've already died, but we will all be caught up together. So we will not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Actually, those who have already died are going to be the first to be reunited with the Lord in their physical body. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. For those of you who may have lost someone in death, if they are a believer, then they have gone directly into the presence of the Lord. And it's not like you have to say goodbye. It's just, you know, see you later. Now, I know that some people are going to say again, well, no, you are wrong. Man, I'm a young person. I'm only in my 20s and I've got a whole life to live and that's not comforting me at all. But if you become eternally minded, did you know, really, there, this life is, again, just a, a, like a breath, like the blink of an eyelash uh, in the light of eternity. It's really a very short time. Whoever you've lost, you will see again if they were a believer. Some of you may be saying, what if they weren't a believer? Well, you know what? Uh, in a situation where, when people die and you aren't sure about their relationship with the Lord, people always want to just comfort the person and say, oh, yes, of course they were the Lord, uh, with the Lord. I don't know for sure what your situation is. There are people who die who are not born again. And I don't think that it does a service to people to just make you think that, oh, sure, they were born again when they may not have been. You know what? The scripture says you have to be born again. Jesus told that to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And there are consequences of our decision. And some of you may be just terrified thinking, but I can't cope if I think that my person I loved is now in hell. But it's true that there are people that go to hell. And I have actually seen people who have lost someone that they loved and they weren't confident that they went to heaven. I, I can say this, that God is a good God. God is a God of love. And God never willfully sends anyone to hell. He has made a provision. And I can guarantee you that if a person has truly turned to the Lord at all, God will accept that. 
But he did say that there would be many people who enter into hell by the broad gate. More would enter that way than by the narrow gate unto life everlasting. But if a person winds up in hell, I can promise you that a good, gracious God did everything within his power to stop them. If they did it, it was because of their choices. And you just have to face that truth. And instead of deceiving yourself into a position where you feel good about it, but you're not facing the truth, you need to face the truth. And if nothing else, use that to provide you with the motivation that, you know what, this is a heaven and hell issue. Every one of us is going to die and either go to heaven or to hell. And it should make you so passionate that you are going to reach out and influence all of the people that you possibly can and turn them to the Lord because you don't want anybody else to go to that terrible place. Sometimes that's the best way you can cope with a situation. But you have to face the truth. It's the truth that's going to set you free. You may console yourself and numb yourself temporarily by just believing what is convenient. But I tell you, it's the truth that's going to set you free in the long run. But for anybody who has a a, a person that you lost who is born again, well, then there should be rejoicing in your life. I'm going to deal with this more in the last teaching in this series. But actually, you know, if you were not thinking about just yourself, but if you were thinking about the person who has died, they are in the presence of the Lord. And they are now experiencing that glory that just makes every problem of this life pale in comparison. And if you were thinking about them, there could actually be a joy and a happiness in your life about, praise God, man, it must be awesome what they're experiencing. I remember one woman, a very good friend of mine, whose husband died. And when I was with her at the funeral, she was laughing and praising God because her husband was a Christian. And she actually came up to me and she says, I tell you what, it made me mad. He checked out on me and left me here. And now he's in the presence of God and he's being compensated and he's just wonderful. And he left me with all of these bills and with all of these things to deal with. And when she said that, she was actually joking. She wasn't really upset. But see, because she recognized that death isn't final, it is not the end for a believer. Because of that, it's like it says there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There is sorrow, but it's not like the sorrow of this world. It's not like others who have no hope. For a Christian, we will see our loved ones again. You know, I'm going to see my father again. I'm going to see people that I've lost again in heaven. And I've thought about this often. And uh, it comforts me. It's exactly what it says over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Comfort one another with these words. If you've lost somebody to death, you need to recognize that it is not eternal. It's not final. It's not goodbye. It's just like so long. It's like a person going to the grocery store and then they come back. And you don't fall apart because you know you're going to see them again. Well, it may be a long stretch of time compared to a trip to the grocery store, but compared to eternity, it's going to be just like that. It'll be a very short period of time, and you'll be reunited. You know, the Apostle Paul said this over in Philippians chapter 1, and in verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. He's talking about imprisonment. That's where he was. If I live in the flesh, being in prison, it looks like what I'm going to have to live with. And he says, yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul here, he was so excited about heaven that he said he was really having trouble choosing whether it was heaven or prison. Most people, man. Most people would choose prison over death. But, you know, he looked at things differently. And he said, no, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And because of it, he was really having a hard time wondering whether he should die and go to be with the Lord or just stay here. And finally, he said he chose to stay here because he could still be a help and a benefit to other people. But, you know, you can get a right frame of mind on this. You can put things into their proper perspective. You can begin to recognize that whatever tragedy you've suffered, it came so it could pass. It's going to pass. It's not permanent. Even if it lasted throughout this entire lifetime, it is nothing compared to eternity. 
And brothers and sisters, if you can understand, accept what I've said, receive it, and put it in its proper perspective, you can begin to start praising God right now, regardless of how long it has been, regardless of how long it looks like your grief is going to be. It is going to be just a snap of the fingers compared to eternity. And you can begin to start rejoicing in that, and you can bring the joy and the peace and the compensation that you will have throughout all eternity into this physical life. You can begin to experience it right now. That's what Jesus told us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can begin to start experiencing some of the joy and the peace and the benefit, this recompense of the reward that will be throughout all eternity. You can begin to experience it now by faith. And praise God, what a great tool this is for dealing with the grief that comes in your life. If you've lost a loved one, it's not over. You'll see him again. If you've suffered tragedy, if there's been terrible things happen, you know what? God can turn that around. And even if you never see it in this life, you're going to be so well taken care of in heaven that you won't even, it won't even be worthy to compare with the glorious things that are waiting for you. The things that right now seem so big and so important are going to seem insignificant when you see how much God has stored up for you in heaven. Praise God. This is good news. You know, I've got more to share. The next thing that we'll we'll be dealing with is that God is not the source of that grief. And then we are going to talk about what is the source of the grief. I believe it is really going to help you. So I just pray and believe that God is going to take these truths that I've shared and use them to minister comfort to you and to help you go on with what God wants you to do.